Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at the first few verses in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Wonder of God's Overwhelming Grace. And so here we are, we're opening up the Bible, or you're flipping to it on your phone, or your iPad, or your tablet, and we do it, we open and read it so much that it's easy to forget that the Bible is filled with the wonderful promises of God. This is God's promise book to you. And every generation that has chosen to turn away from this world and follow him by faith with their lives. The Bible is filled with wonderful and glorious promises. He offers so much to those who look to him. That could just be the turning point for you right now in your situation is to turn to God. Why you've gathered here, why you're watching online or flipping through the radio, you are here to turn to God and be reminded of all that he offers you. And in our study today, God makes a remarkable and powerful promise to a man by the name of Abram. And really all of the beginning of Genesis is leading us right here to chapter 12. I know that many of you enjoy the first 11 verses because you're more scientific and you love that part of the creation and the marvels of God, but I need to remind you that the first 11 chapters were intended to get us to chapter 12. Because the whole Bible, as fascinating as it is with science and with the creation account, and as fascinating and all the, all the foundational doctrines, very important, we've studied them verse by verse. It's not, I'm not in any way minimizing their importance. However, remember the Bible is about Messiah. It's getting us to the Savior. It's pointing us to Jesus Christ and the promise that's going to come through Abram. God is revealing himself to one man who heard that promise and believed it and lived his life based upon it. And I dare say that the world has literally never been the same since this man, Abram. Remember back in chapter 11 and verse 26, it says that Terah lived 70 years and he begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. As we look ahead, I want you to keep this in mind. We're gonna spend a couple of studies in Genesis 12. I wanted to tackle the whole chapter, but as I was putting it together, I thought we should pause a little bit just to spend some time in this chapter. I want you to remember that Abram was not a perfect man. As greatly as he was used, he was not a perfect man. His faith in God was not perfect either. He had his struggles, his stumbles, his failures. You could even say he had some amazingly huge failures in his life. Yet in God's great love, he reaches down to Abram and blesses him and extends a beautiful promise, or we'll learn the word covenant, he makes a covenant with Abram to a very normal, everyday man who would later become, as we know him today, the father of faith. And it's so vital that you grasp this church, that you grasp this chapter, that you grasp this individually. It's not merely the story or the true story of a man 
but of all men and women. This is our story. This is our story because there's a pattern that we see here of how God speaks and uses men and women today by faith. How God will call you out of your current situation, speak to you in a difficult situation, get your attention in some way. I dare say there are those listening to me right now that have a similar story of God getting your attention. And, and through a circumstance, through a series of behaviors, through a, a moment in time, it wasn't a burning bush, it, it wasn't a voice from heaven, but nonetheless, God, God got your attention. And if you chose to respond a different way, you'd have a different story. But you didn't. You chose to respond toward God, not away from him. And that is the story of Abram, that he chose to respond to God. And you know, I love, what I love about the Bible as we start to study this man's life is that it's not written like a textbook in cold, dry language and words that are hard to understand and terminology you have to figure out. But God just says it like it is. And I appreciate people like that in my life. Just say it like it is. As we were looking at the gift of exhortation, you could say a person, a man or a woman with the gift of exhortation says it like it is. Sometimes it's delivered a little difficult, but nonetheless, it's just the way it is. That's how God is. He speaks the truth. And when he speaks of the men and women that he uses, he includes their weaknesses, their failures. He includes the whole truth and doesn't sidestep anything. You know, because if God only included the good things in those that he used, we might read the Bible and go, you know what? I can never be used. None of these people are like me. These guys are all perfect and I'm all jacked up and I don't think God could ever use me. But you notice in the Bible, everyone that God used was jacked up. Everyone. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't an innocent one among us. Sure, there are some differences perhaps in the consequences or the level of sin or what we got into or whatever. But the reality is, is that God tells us the truth because the truth speaks to us. The Bible does say, you know, that God is looking for people to use. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah, he says in chapter 5, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, see now and know, and seek, her in, seek in her open places if you can find a man. If there's anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I'll pardon her. So you come to God and he accepts you in Christ and begins to change you from the inside out. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 16, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by their calamity. Jot that down. Some of you need to remember this and memorize it. Proverbs 24, 16. I quote it all the time. That's the address. Though a man fall seven times, he'll rise again by the grace of God. And it doesn't matter how many steps you've taken away from him. It doesn't matter how many things that people identify your sin and your failure, if you repent, God will receive you and begin the work of restoration immediately. Immediately. I love that. Now, by way of review, before we jump in, I want to remind you as we enter a new section that Genesis is broken up into two sections, four events and four people. You remember the four events we've already looked at. So we've studied the four events. Chapters one and two is the event of creation. Chapters three through five tell us about the fall of man. Chapters six through nine, the flood. And then chapters 10 through 11 are the nations. Now we start the section of Genesis, which take up most of the, you know, most of the chapters of the four people. From chapters 12 through 25, we're gonna learn about Abraham. 
25 through 26, Isaac, 27 through 36, Jacob, and then finally 37 through 50, the life of Joseph. And so for the next 13 chapters or so, we're going to be studying the life of Abraham. Notice with me verse 1, chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Now remember the backdrop of chapter 12 is the Tower of Babel. So from the Tower of Babel here to chapter 12, a lot of time has passed. Seven different dynasties of Egypt, old kingdom had already come and gone by the time Abram was born. Abram in pagan, his pagan idolatrous culture, the son of a pagan priest. Okay, understand that. Abram in a pagan idolatrous culture, the son of a pagan priest, hears the word of the Lord. To me, that's enough. I mean, just like, are you serious? God can speak in any situation, in any difficult, any rebellious heart, that he can reach anyone? The answer to that is yes. And that's where we have this man is being spoken to by God. It says, the Lord said to Abram, in the middle of this horrible culture, in the center of a godless society, God spoke to him and reached out to him. And to me, it's just the wonder of God's overwhelming grace. How many times that story is told over and over and over again. You know, when you see the difficulties all around us, it's easy to think that it's just a hopeless situation. You've looked at A, B, C, and D, and you've added it all up, and it's hopeless. Never going to change. And so what happens? You start to jump in with your assessments. You come to the wrong conclusion. Listen, when you come to the wrong conclusion, that wrong conclusion will lead you to wrong responses. So you're like, well, look, there's nothing. Nothing's going to happen. I don't know how God could reach anybody in this godless culture. And so with that, you begin to say, well, we better do this, and I want to change this. But the reality is, is God is at work everywhere. His grace reaches into the midst of idolatry and paganism. Regardless of the culture and the surroundings, the voice of God is going forth. You just tune your ears and respond to him. The call comes to, regardless of the circumstances, despite the surroundings, apart from the depravity of the culture. I think of the heritage of our own church family, Calvary Chapel. The very beginnings of this group of church, and it wasn't the only church being used during that time. There were quite a few churches that were just filled with the rejects of society. Just the, it, the, back then, it was the hippies. It was the hippies getting all high on LSD and getting caught up in the culture and protesting and throwing, you know, everything was just out of control back then. And God said, it doesn't matter to me what's happening in the world. It doesn't matter to me what's happening in the politics. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how high they are on LSD, how messed up they are in their minds, how many brain cells have been lost. God says, I can even restore brain cells in people's lives that they will turn to me. And he poured out his spirit in a powerful way. And people like me, now I wasn't a hippie, I wasn't alive back then, but let me tell you a little secret. You ready? Don't tell anybody I said this. But if I was alive back then, I would have been a hippie. I'm sure of it. Just checking out and being high and partying all the time. That was my life. Different generation. And here I am, walking into a church like this. One of the foundational cores of this church, it's not on the website, 
It's not in our, found, our doctrinal statement. It's not in our axioms. It's in my heart, okay? It's not on the website. It's not in the packets. It's in my heart. One of the foundational Sorry, parts, one of the foundational parts of this church is in my heart, and it's this. I want to be a part of a church where a guy like me can walk in as messed up as he is and get saved. That's my heart. Doesn't need to be up on the website. If this church ever becomes a place where a guy like me can't walk in, can't be among us, can't receive the gospel through us, that we start looking at the world differently and write people off like me, I don't want to be a part of it. I can assure you, if the church ever becomes that, I'm finding another church. Because that's not the church of Christ. The church of Christ is reaching, I think it was D.L. Moody perhaps, I forget who said this, but he says that God reaches even to the gutter most. When you start letting the world you know, think, oh, this paganism, and I can't believe it, and what are they doing, and what's happening here, and look what they're doing, and I can't believe what's happening to our country, and we need our country back. Listen, you need to have a heart for people. It's people. Jesus Christ, he died for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. It was just a few hours ago we saw this room filled with families. And I'm always, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing in my own heart where I always wonder. I wonder about the stories in this room. I don't get to hear them all. I get to hear some. But I don't get to hear them all anymore. And I wonder. I, I remember putting our own son, Eddie, into a Christian school. That was like never in a million years could you have ever thought that was something that we did. We put our son, Marie and I, put our son in a Christian school and we were rank unbelievers. But they had cheap childcare and got Jesus at the same time. I thought, man, well, that's a deal. Two for one. I'm always in for a good deal. And that started a pathway of relationships and connections. And although I didn't get saved at that church, it ended up leading us to another church and softening our heart along the way. You have a story. And so did Abram. Abram, you know, didn't control where he got, where the family he was born into or the land that he came to or what happened when he was young and crossing this border. And he didn't control any of that. And God still loved him. And who are we to write people off? Who are we to get all bent out of shape because something here and something there. It's all grace. It's a grace for you and it's grace for them. It's a grace for me and it's a grace for her. It's all grace. None of us deserve anything. Nothing. Oh, well, if you do get what you deserve, you don't ask for you what you deserve. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when you think of Abram, you think this is God reaching down to the unexpected, to the one that you would, hey, you're looking for someone? Hey, I know where. He's right in the middle of that, that pagan priest's house, his kid. Use him. No, no, no. We should go to the seminaries. We should go somewhere where there's good Christian. No, no, no. That's the guy. Because when I use Abram, you can hear it in the heart of God. When I use Abram, it'll blow everybody's minds. And I alone will get all the credit. Let me show you this in the New Testament, lest you think uh, I'm just making this up. I'm not making it up. I don't make things up. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You got to go, go here because this is one of the foundational. I want you to see it in your Bible. So go all the way to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2. Jot it down. If you can't catch up, you can look it up later. Because I want this is foundational to understand the grace of God. Now, I'm not going to give a deep 
explanation of the grace of God, but I do want to shed light on, this is what's happening to Abram before this was even written. Before it was even written. Notice with me, Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 8. Ephesians 2 verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and then mark that phrase, not of yourselves. That faith is not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. And it's not of any of your works. So you don't earn it. You can't say, well, here I am. I'm here because of my hard work. No, no, you're not. You're here by the grace of God. And it's not by works. Why? So that no one would boast. We have nothing to boast in. And it says, as I mentioned, we are his workmanship, his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like the, the reality is that the grace of God creates an environment where we are all equal and none of us can boast. There's nothing that we have to offer. Apart from Christ, we would all have the same ending, a destiny and an eternity apart from him. It's all grace. It's not 55%. It's not 65%. It's 100% the grace of God and it's 0% anything that we could boast in. It turns us into hearts of appreciation. It's like, man, God, you're so good. You're so good to us. So coming back to Genesis 12 now, speaking to Abram, idolatry, difficulty, he says, I'm gonna make you a great nation, verse two. I'm gonna bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, mark this word, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Five times there is movement of God's part toward Abram of what he will do. Five I wills. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. It's not mentioned there, but it's implied. I'll make your name great. I will... I, you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is speaking with Abraham and promising him something great. But he places all the emphasis upon himself. On the one hand, you're going to act Abram, but on the other hand, God says, I'm going to do it for you. And it's, it's, a, it's important here to remind, just to be reminded here today, no matter where you are in life, what your status in life is. It's just, just pause for a second and, and let me remind you that God desires to bless you. In the most purest sense, God's desire is to bless you. He says it right here. I'm going to bless all the nations through you, Abraham. It's all going to come through this covenant. You're going to be a big part of it. It started in the garden but now Abram, in the middle of idolatry, pagan you know, city, it's like, you're going to be a part of something special. The whole world's going to be blessed because of you. You could look back today, you right now, us, we right now, listening, can go back and go, thank you. Of all the people you want to see in heaven, I wonder how many of you have Abraham on your list. Just to go up and say, thanks, bro. Thanks for listening. Thanks for obeying. Thanks for being a part of the plan. It all came through you. I know you want to see, no, what was it like with the ark? And, you know, Adam, how was the garden walking with God without sin? You know, there's all these things, but, you know, make sure Abraham's on your list. Hey, thanks for listening. You know, this section of scripture, this man of faith, 
This is almost every missionary ties their call to this scripture. Every church planner ties this call to the scripture. Everyone that steps out in faith kind of goes back and says, oh, the Lord spoke to me through chapter 12. Yes, yes. Get up and go do something different than you're doing right now. Some of you go to, a mission, go to the mission field. Some of you go plant a church. I was talking to a brother this afternoon as I did an airport run. And I was coming back to the office. I was speaking to him. And what did he do? It's time to step in out. He's going to go launch off. Move a couple thousand miles away from Colorado and go bathe with God's call upon his life. Get up and get out. And as you get up and get out, what are you going to experience? You're going to experience the I wills of God. <laughs> What's God's going to do on your behalf? You know, we get all into our head like, oh, I'm going to do a great work for God. Oh, I'm going to do a great work for God. You're not going to do any great work for God. God is going to do the great work, and you're going to get to be a part of it. It's his work. It's his work. Very painful, painful process for me to learn that in the church planning arena because originally we were headed to another city. I was so encouraged because, you know, when you're taking a step of faith, you, some of us, we have to build up our faith and we got, I just, I'm not a big man of faith and I'm just, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. Then you go do it. And then you step out and in that city, um, you know, the Lord humbled me greatly and sent me back home. Almost like saying, I don't need you here. Go home. What? My whole life was tied to this. This was God's call upon my life only to hear God say, No. It wasn't not here, it was no, go home. And so we did. Crush my spirit, crush me completely. But what was being crushed was not God crushing me, he was cutting away the flesh in my life. And I was launching off with all this faith, man-made faith, God-given faith, whatever it was, I don't even know. And my mindset was this, God, I am gonna go do a great work for you. That's my heart. And I, I believe it was as pure as you could get, but uh, obviously God knew there was some impurities in it. I'm going to go do a great work for you, God. And I'm willing to move my family. And I remember thinking, I will pump gas for Jesus if I have to. Leave my career, live off of savings, and we will put it all on the line, me and my little family. We will go broke and in debt to do the work of the Lord. And God said, I don't need you. Go home. And I interpret that, I don't need you ever to plant a church. So you just go home and go back to work and be a good little Christian. And that's what I settled. Until God awakened through a whole series of events, a different call to a different city, different circumstances. So shocked Marie and I both. A call at which we responded to, but we came to Aurora very different than that other city. Came broken humbled, alone, because we had a whole team ready with us, and we're going to be a church planning team, and it's all going to be great, and nobody came with us this time. It's just me and Marie and the kids, and when we came to this city, I didn't come here to do a great work for God. God said, I'm going to do a great work, Ed. I'm going to do it in this city. If you want to be a part of it, move, and he did. He arranged everything, and we didn't I didn't have to leave my career. My career moved me here. They made it all. They, 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 they did so much for us to bring us here. It was so much the will of God that they literally put our cars on trucks and drove them out here for us. While they put us on a plane, the five of us, with one-way ticket, not a, not a round trip. The company said, we'll pay for one way. Uh, you go out and work that job right up here in Aurora on, on uh, Parker Road where those big four buildings are. I forget the cross there. Is that Yale there, Parker and Yale? 
I worked in one of those buildings there for many months as we were working. So God wants you to know, wherever you are right now, that he's ready to do a great work. And he invites you to be a part of it. You're not going to be the one doing a great work. It's not you. He calls you. And we thank Abram because he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. It's God's heart to bless you. Somewhere along the way, the church has forgotten this wonderful truth. The priorities of the church at large have shifted away from the loving nature of God, away from his free-flowing blessing, away from a true teaching of the grace of God. It seems like more and more pastors and churches today are, 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 and more Christians are taught today all about what you need to do for God, what your obligations are, and how unhappy God is with you because you're not doing enough. That is not the word of the Lord. And so you hear over and over, you have to serve, and you need to give more, and I can't believe what kind of church you are. You're not giving enough. You're not serving enough. You're not this enough, and this other church has more numbers, and you're not bringing people to church, and on and on the list goes. And as a result, you'll find a lot of beaten, frustrated, and guilt-ridden Christians not living up to the standards of the pastors and the hirelings that beat them down every week for their own purposes. All the while, all the while, God never stops showering his love and grace and mercy upon your life because he loves you. He loves your family. He loves your children and your grandchildren. He loves you in your singleness as you wait for God's will to be developed. He loves you. And the language of grace is not you have to. Please understand. You have to stay away from sin. That's not the language of of grace. You have to give. That's not the language of grace. You have to. No, you know what the language of grace is? Check this out. You get to stay away from sin. (laughs) so you don't wreck your life. You get to give as a response to the overwhelming blessings of God upon your life. You get to serve. Some of you, do you remember how you spent your Saturday nights and your Friday nights? Do you remember how you treated your neighbor? You know, those of you that didn't have a walk with the Lord, do you remember how dark it was? And now by the grace of God, you get to serve them? You get to love them? You get to help them? How about this one? For some of us, this is me personally, how about this one? You actually now get to care about your neighbor. You get to care about the person on the other side of the fence. Their kids running around the park. The the, the families that are moving into the neighborhood. Those that are coming in from other countries. You get to care for them now. You get to pray for them. You get to serve them. You get to have hope for them. You get to think of others more highly than yourself. That's the language of grace. And it starts right here. Abram, I want you to understand, you are going to be a part of my blessing forever. It's all going to come through you. This little encounter, it's all going to come through you. And when you and I, when we realize all that God has done, the natural response is, it's loving obedience and growing faith. And I apologize if I have ever misrepresented the grace of God and for all the other pastors and leaders that have somehow become a barrier between you and a true understanding of the grace of God, forgive us and come into a newness of life. 
forgive those that have hurt you in the past and come into the newness of life so that you can enjoy the last days of your life in the grace of God, using the right language. You could, you could spend the rest of your life upset with the guy that hurt you and waste the rest of your life when you can just instead respond going, you know what, Lord? Bad circumstance, something to learn from. I'm going to grow from it. I'm going to move forward and enjoy your grace. I don't have to give anything. And that is, you know, if you want to think about giving, that's such a big deal in churches today. I'll tell you right now, you don't have to give anything to this church. Don't. You walk over to the boss, I can't believe I'm going to give this old man. I hate old man. Find somebody with a key, we'll give it back. We'll find a guy with the key to those boxes, we'll give it back. You know what the Bible says? Don't give grudgingly. You want your money? Keep it. Spin it however you want. But just understand, I can't teach you something other than what God has said. And so he says not to give grudgingly, but he says you're to give all that you are as a living sacrifice. Some of you, I had a brother call on the radio today, they're struggling in one area of their life, but he's also struggling in another area of his life. He's got some big struggles in his life, but he's also, I don't want to go to church anymore. I'm like, dude, go to church, that's a gimme. If you can't do the gimmies, you'll never build up faith to deal with the big ones in your life. Do the easy ones, giving is a gimme. That's so easy. Write the check, go to the online and do 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 thing, just hit send. I mean, you can do it automatic. It'll just boom, just like the government. Take it right out as unto the Lord. It's a gimme. And so when you don't follow through with the gimmies in response to the grace of God, maybe you don't fully understand how much God loves you and has taken care of you your entire life. Your entire life. And maybe you don't know yet that it's not about money. It's about your heart, my heart. We'll be learning that here soon because we're going to be looking at the gift of giving this weekend. And we'll see what a beautiful thing it is to give of ourselves unto the Lord. We give first ourselves to the Lord and then we realize everything belongs to him. That's what Abraham's being asked here. He's not being asked to give a tithe. He's not being asked to, hey, he's, kind of, he's saying, okay, this is a big one. You know, he starts big. Hey, I want you to get up and leave. Everything you know, everything you, get up and go because I've got, something I'm going to do for your life, through your life, Abram. I want you to get up and go. I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless. God hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, in the new covenant, you have to respond in the new covenant. How much more does God love you in Christ? How much more? It's so much more. You're experiencing so much more than even Abram got to experience. You get to experience and know so much more than even Abram did. Now, this protection, let me just, a quick note here in verse 3. He says, I will bless you, those who bless you, and curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In this Abrahamic covenant, this promise, this protection that's given to Abraham, Abraham is also that the nation that would come from him, Israel, Every nation that has tried to come against Israel has failed. Babylon, Rome, Egypt, Germany, etc. And I believe we as a country, I believe we as a church have been blessed because of our support of Israel. Because of this promise right here. I'm going to bless those who bless you. And we have a heart to bless Israel. And to support Israel. And to pray for them. 
and to support them in many ways. But understand this, and this is my clarification for you. When we say we support Israel, we are not saying that Israel as a government is flawless. We are not saying that we agree with every decision that people in leadership in Israel have made or are going to make. As a matter of fact, most in Israel today are secular and have rejected Messiah. So it's not a blanket approval of even those things that are sinful and anti-God. That doesn't make any sense. So don't let people throw that in the media and things. Well, you know, you're support of Israel. Do you support this? Of course not. But we love Israel. Why? Right here. Do you everybody ever, anyone ever asked you? Take them to Genesis 12. I'll tell you right here. The Bible says if I bless and care for Israel, I'll be blessed. That's a gimme. I'm taking it. We love because of Israel, because of Abraham, we're blessed. So I just want to make that clear because sometimes you get bombarded. Maybe you're talking about it at work and so I can't believe it. Do you agree with it? No, we don't agree with sinful things. We'd say the same for our government. We love our country. We support our country. Everyone that's given their lives, serving them. Yes. Does that mean we agree with every decision? Absolutely not. We all have blood on our hands. There's not an innocent one among us. And where do we hide? We hide in the grace of God, his forgiveness, his goodness. So Abram responds, notice in verse four, so Abram departed. Let me just say, let me just ask you to mark this. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. You want that to be your life. God tells you to do something, you want to do it. There's no time that passes. This is the response that he gives. He left. And it says, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and he took his wife, Sarai, and, his, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai, Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now, you can jot this down uh, in chapter 11 and beginning in verse 27. We didn't cover it very deeply last time, but this is the overview of Abram's life. And you'll notice in verse 31 that Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, and they went out from them from Ur to the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there, dwelt there. So that's the summary of his life, and now we're coming to chapter 12 where we're getting it laid out a little bit more in depth and in detail. Abram left with his father and took a pit stop in Haran. Now many look at this, and there's some debate on this, but I, I tend to agree with the side that this is an example of half-hearted obedience. Abram was told to leave his home and his family behind. Haran was about halfway between Ur and Canaan, and going halfway is not the way of obedience. Going halfway is not the way of obedience. 
You may view it a little bit differently and that's okay. You say, well, he got up and he obeyed and he left and you come to the conclusion it was full obedience. To me, it's not a debatable issue and nothing to argue about. But I noticed that there was a pause. And many times people will, and and I'm sharing this with you so you don't make this mistake. Many times, especially in this day in the Western church and the way things are comfort and ease, they mistake half-hearted obedience for complete obedience and wonder why they're always battling and struggling. Why their whole identity now has become struggling. And you have to ask yourself, am I fully obedient to what the Lord has revealed to me? Am I fully obedient to what he's given to me? And the fruit of disobedience will show up in many different areas. It'll show up in your finances. It'll show up in your job. It'll show up in your relationships. It'll show up in your home. It'll show up in your health. Half-hearted obedience or full disobedience will plague you and chase you until you bring it to the cross. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that is a promise that goes both ways. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. It's your choice. Scholars believe that Abram spent and wasted some 15 years in Haran. God doesn't speak again to Abram until he leaves Haran. There was nothing to say to him until he was fully ready to obey. And so obey God when he tells you to do something. When his word tells you to leave, to avoid that, to embrace this, to step out, to trust him. Because the heavens will be silent until you fully obey. So Abram's on the move again, beginning in verse 7. God appears to him, and he comes to the place in verse 7. I'm going to give you this land, and he built an altar there. You notice that also in verse 8, he built an altar. And the area he is in verse 8 is at Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. Ai means a place of ruin. And as we get into Joshua, you know that it was a ruinous place for the children of Israel. It was in Bethel that God's presence, there was God built an altar, where an altar was built, and Abram worshipped and called upon the name of the Lord. And as he's moving forward, worshipping, God is moving you, worship. God is moving you, worship. God is leading you, worship. God is blessing you, worship. That's the proper response. The proper response in our lives is not complaining and murmuring, but worshiping, worshiping God. So he comes to Bethel, he pitches his tent, he builds an altar, he starts journeying again in verse nine, and there's a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abram took this massive step of faith, left everything, half-hearted obedience, but nonetheless, and the first big test, he looks to Egypt for help. You Bible students know that Egypt is often a type and a picture of the world. Many times Egypt is used as a picture of our own flesh and our own devices and resources. And the famine scared him. Have you noticed in the news recently that they're speaking about food shortages? You see that in the markets. The shelves are very different. They talked about grain shortages because of what's happening in Ukraine. 
And I dare say this is a word for someone that you are scared. You're scared. And the temptation will be when you're scared to not trust in the Lord. That's the temptation. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We're so used to getting two loaves of bread, aren't we? We're so used to buying 12 cans of tomato sauce. We're so used to things that most of the world doesn't have access to. And it's conditioned us to trust in the arm of man. I don't know that, I don't know, you just have to sort it out. I know there are times when I do and times when I don't. You just have to sort it out for yourself. I don't know where you are in that. But now when times get tough, just know that there is a temptation before sin. There is always the temptation before sin. And it's the place of temptation where you can avoid sin. Right there, it's the place of temptation. So you're walking through and you go, oh, the empty shelves. Oh, the, I hear the news. Oh, the, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's very much in the last days. It talks about famines coming in the land. Yes, it could very well be. We, in our generation, we're going to face very, very difficult hard times. And some of you may even, we saw it during COVID, they're hoarding, hoarding, hoarding of all things, toilet paper. That was the big deal. It was a manipulative work of our culture to get your basement filled with toilet paper. Were you going to write a diary on them or what are you going to do with it? Like, but here's the thing. Here's the thing what God's prepping the church for. In response to difficulties in the world, in response, you may find it necessary to take some food and store it away for a difficult day. That's nothing wrong with that. Being prepared for the future, being prepared. Joseph did that in the seven years of famine. Nothing wrong with that. It's very biblical. But understand this, there is the temptation to trust in the arm and the hand of God. Like you have that, that no, new story, it scares you, and you're waiting for the new story that's going to encourage you. Oh, there's more grain. Ha, ah, yes, there's more grain. No, no, no. The faithfulness of God. It's his faithfulness. And if you do, if you do, and I think it would be great if you choose this, if you do look forward to stocking and preparing for the future, just understand this. It is not only for you. So make sure that you remember the world in which you live. And what do we teach you here? What have we taught you over the years? We think about the food bank here. What do we say? When you're going shopping, get something for you. And you've already been building that habit. Or at least thinking about it. Maybe you're just starting. You've already been building it. Get one for me, one for someone in need. One for me, one for someone in need. And when you start doing that, you're like, yeah, it doesn't really affect any. Like, I'm giving unto the Lord, giving unto the Lord, dropping it in the cart. I don't even know where it goes. I'm not even sure who gets it. But I can tell you this. The shelves get empty, you replenish them. Shelves get empty, they get replenished. The, the resources go out, but they come through the church. They come through the church. And God is using you. And if he's going to continue to use us in the last days, then listen, understand the temptation like Abram, and we're going to have to close here because we're out of time, but the temptation to Abram here is he got scared and he went down to Egypt. And nothing good is going to happen going down to Egypt. You can read ahead, chapter 12. We'll pick up here next time. So Father, we know that temptations come our way and difficulties are all around us. And the temptation to go to Egypt, to think of only ourselves, or is always among us. We're just similar to Abram. And we're hearing your call and wanting to live our life in difficult times. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and increase our faith. 
so that in these last days, even as Brad, is such a great section of uh, prayer today, God, that, you know, when we think, you know, what, when did we bless you, Jesus? And then I just can hear Jesus go, Matt, your whole life was a blessing to me when you helped this guy with water and you helped this guy with spaghetti sauce, you helped this guy with a buck, you helped this guy with a room, like your whole life honored me. And what a glorious day that will be when we somehow, unbeknownst to us, receive the rewards that you have in store for us so that we might accept them and then cast them at your feet because it was all you all along. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.